Have you ever watched an apocalyptic sci-fi movie and wondered, could any of this really happen? I'm Carrie Bechet, and on Hypothetical, we explore what-if questions two ways, through speculative science fiction and through insight from the world's most brilliant scientists. And spoiler alert, your favorite sci-fi movies aren't nearly as far-fetched as you may think. Time travel with me into our possible futures on Hypothetical. New episodes every Tuesday available on all podcast apps. That's Hypothetical, H-Y-P-E-R-T-H-E-T-I-C-A-L. Bitches on Comics. It is I, Sarah Century. <laughs> <laughs> and me, Essie Fleur, with... I love you, Sarah. <laughs> with a very special guest today, we have Kate Sanchez, who is a gamer, podcaster, Chicana, scholar, nerd, and founder and editor-in-chief of... But why, though? Thank you so much for being here with us, Kate. Thanks for having me on. I'm super excited. I love podcasting with people that aren't my usual crowd, because I hear too much of them every week. <laughs> uh, Sarah and I are like a package deal so even when I try to get away from her she's right there That's I'm true. just kidding I, I love it I mean. Sarah's so funny Sarah's like the funniest person I've ever met it's I love every second of it Aww. enough about us where can we find you on social Kate you can find me on Twitter at oh my Mithrandier. if you know what the reference is you get a gold star <laughs> We're doling out gold stars. I love it. We'll also obviously put your tag in our show notes. So go to our website if you're like, I don't know what this means. Also go to our Twitter. Follow us. Then right there, Kate's handle will be there. So that's, you know, my pitch for following us on Twitter. Kate, I'm just so pumped to be here with you today. So excited to talk about Miles and about what's great about him. And, oh, there's so much to bemoan, but I'm not going to steal the thunder of that yet. But I thought we could maybe start with talking a little bit about the video game that was announced on June 11th and then sort of talk about, like, I guess what the fuck happened because I've been trying to figure out the series of events. I have like notes. I look like uh, Charlie in It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia over here. I'm like, oh, (laughs) then Bloomberg said this and then Insomniac. So what happened? So essentially going way, way, way back to the PS5 launch event, which was essentially a stream where they debuted not only what the PS5 looks like and its accessories, but also the games that were going to be on the platform. The very first game showcased was a teaser trailer for Spider-Man Miles Morales. I was hype. Everybody was hype. It's such a good trailer. It's an amazing trailer. Comic fans were excited because Spider-Man Miles Morales is literally the name of his current solo run. And fans of the Spider-Verse were excited. All of Latinx Twitter lit up. It was a party. It was great. And then it was this moment of realizing, because out of all the games that were showcased, not everyone had dates that they were coming out. And on top of that, this was the trailer that they led with. And it is for sure coming out at the holiday, which means it's going to be a launch title. So there was just so much going on for a lot of us, specifically Latinos and Latinx, just because... We don't get representation. I don't think people realize this, but the Latinx population in the U.S. is the largest ethnic minority, um, actually minority population overall in the United States by a whopping margin. But we don't get any representation. We're actually at 3% representation on screen, whereas other demographics are actually closer to their population sizes in the U.S. It is a terrible fact. 
And it's even worse in games. If I just pose anybody to think about their favorite Latinx character, and uh, it was probably in a fighting game or it was in a hero game like Overwatch. Mm. We don't get screen time at all, ever. Um, So this was an exciting revelation for us. And then we went to bed on our hype, super excited. And then wake up and the, I believe it was a VP of Sony said, oh yeah, no, it's just going to be an expansion on what's already there. And so already people are frustrated because it's like, well, the way this was packaged, it was packaged like a standalone game. There was nothing that said that it was going to need to be paired with the original Spider-Man, anything like that. And so the initial feelings were, okay, so we wanted this Spider-Man Miles Morales game, which is something that Insomniac, the the developer of the game, has been talking about doing, expanding Miles' place because he was introduced in the original Spider-Man PS4 game. But it it was dishonest. It was something where it was like you you gave us an open-ended piece, essentially, and then came in and undercut it, which, I mean, you can blame fans for being frustrated and, you know, maybe jumping to the conclusion But at the same time, usually expansion standalones, there's a certain context to them when you promote them so that people know. And it said that it was going to be playable only on the PS5 or that it was built for the PS5 engine. So all of us thought it was a a real game. And then after enormous backlash about it, Insomniac came and put out a tweet saying that it was in fact going to be a standalone game and they would have more information later. Okay, so nobody's communicating that's that's fine but like i guess we're getting a full game okay okay i'm with you i'm with you i'm with you and then jason shriver who i have my own issues with reports that well it's gonna be a standalone but it's gonna be in the vein of uncharted uh lost legacy and if anybody's played uncharted lost legacy or know anything about it it's actually a standalone expansion which means it's not a lot of playtime and about half the price because it was meant to be an expansion DLC and was shipped on to the next-gen console to then get people to buy Uncharted 4 on the next-gen. Oh, so it's like a like a 0.5. Yep. You got like Spider-Man 1, let's pretend, and then it's like Spider-Man 2 is what will be out on PS5. This would be like the 1.5. Pretty much, yeah. Uh, okay, this is what I thought, and this fucking sucks. Yeah, and so, and the thing is, is like, and people are like, well, you just wanted a full game. I was like, I wanted honesty. Hell yeah. Because I didn't care if it was a full game or a DLC. I cared that it felt like they manipulated the public sentiment for Miles to get hype and then undercut it. And so that for me is frustrating. And then I feel like my personal opinions is that this was going to be an expansion, but now they see it as a dirty word. So they're going to try to flex into doing something a little bit more robust. And that type of knee jerk is going to give us an under quality game. That's my fear. That's what I was going to ask, you know, because it, it does seem like they're trying to uh, not have a final statement on like exactly yep. what it is. And so then they can get into this like gray area of making changes or or whatever. Mm-hmm. And that reminds me of like the Sonic movie all over again. <laughs> I mean, and they just released... They gave us a look at the PS5 games. The look at the PS5 games is a PS5 case with Miles Morales. And it's like, so you know the power that this game has. And yet, not only were you not clear, you also didn't talk to each other about it. You also didn't communicate about it. And it's like, part of me has to wonder, like, is this because this is a non-white lead? 
Is it because it's somebody that you thought wasn't going to be able to sell and then you realized, oh, crap, people love him. And now you're going to, you know, you're going to react this way. It's mess. It's just giant mess. And Miles deserves better than mess. <laughs> Miles, <laughs> he's the best. And yeah, he's he's gone under some difficult <laughs> times in comics as well, right? Because like, that's how I know him. I, I don't play that much video games. But even in comics, we're seeing reflections of this in some ways, right? Like people are kind of consistently dismissive of his character. Mm-hmm. People will be like, Peter Parker, one true Spider-Man, like all of that kind of BS that you see with legacy characters all of the time. Because I think like one of the other things that happens too is when you look at Miles, his identity is an important one because there is a lot of anti-Blackness within the Latinx communities and showcasing a hero that is an Afro-Latino is extremely important. And yet, when we see people talk about him, they usually only talk about one side or the other. And they erase the other one and they negate it. And it happened when they casted Shamik Moore. Mm -hmm. It happens when they don't have an actual Afro-Latino writing his story because it, it translates. Absolutely. But I think it actually was when we were talking to Gabby Rivera and we were talking about how there's just so much you can't understand if you're not. Latinx yeah. in, in the case of talking about America Chavez, a Latinx lesbian and, and, you know, Afro Latina Latinx in this case, you know, and it's like, of course, <laughs> why is that so hard to understand? Yeah. It's one of those things that frustrates me, especially in, in the world that, that we're in now is the miles stories that can be compelling is the fact that miles is the son of a cop. Right. That is a certain positionality where it can be, great to take on what we're all going through right now and showcase it in comics and confront those problems and do it by empowering an Afro-Latino to to step behind that character. Because Miles, and we saw it during the protest, people were dressing up like Miles in New York, right? Like that is powerful, especially because of what's been happening. And to see it time and time again getting ignored, I mean, I brought it up right before we started talking, but Shockwaves is the new young adult graphic novel that's coming out for Miles. And it's really cool because he's going back to Puerto Rico. He is going to Puerto Rico to help Puerto Rico after an earthquake. He's going to go to his mom's homeland. Like that's that's powerful. And it is probably the most of Miles' Latinidad that we've been able to see. And if people don't know what Latinidad is, Latinidad is uh, your, your, your Latinx identity. The pieces of you that come together to create who you are as a Latino or a Latino or a Chicana or a Boricua, because these are all different types of identities that live within the giant Latinx community, because there are so many of us from different cultural backgrounds and different positionalities across the United States. And it's being written by a not Afro-Latino. And it's frustrating because this is the one moment we're going to get to see his Latinidad on full display and maybe be questioned. And maybe maybe we can actually confront some of the anti-Blackness in our communities through that by having him interact with Puerto Ricans on the island, which is a very different experience than like the New Yorkian experience, which is Puerto Ricans who have grown up and lived in New York, right? Mm-hmm. I'm a Tejana and a Chicana. I'm a Mexican-American. But if I go to Mexico, it's a very different experience for me. And we're going to miss that. We're not going to get that. Right. It just bums. I'm bummed. I'm just real bummed. <laughs> it's hard because like the closest we've actually gotten to, and it, I think I think it was under Bendis' run, 
somebody tells Miles that he he's the black Spider-Man and he right. says, but I'm Puerto Rican too. And he says, and at the end of the day, I just want to be Spider-Man. And it's a powerful panel. And then you realize, but it's still written by a white guy. And mm-hmm. that's, then that's the most we're going to get to the double consciousness that Miles leads as an Afro-Latino. And it's, it's frustrating. And I think that that's one of the reasons why ultimately Into the Spider-Verse is so good because you have Black and Latino creatives behind it. Like, I think it's, is it Phil, Phil Lord is Cuban, I believe. And there's an authenticity that comes into it that Miles was allowed to have. And it's one of the reasons why I love Into the Spider-Verse is because he speaks Spanish and he goes in and out of it. And you get to experience what it's like for him. And it's not a plot line and it's not a trope. It's just him existing as a Puerto Rican in New York, you know, in a diverse community. And it means a lot. And it was powerful for a lot of Latinx uh, who watched it, regardless of background, because a lot of the times when we hear Spanish spoken, especially in blockbuster movies or anything like that, or in comics, I'm actually consulting on a comic right now to help them get the Spanish right. Because a lot of the times these white writers go in and they go to Google Translate, they take it and they put it in. (laughs) And that's not how it works Mm -mm. because words mean different things. So like there's a comic and the author was amazing because I I actually sent him my my issues with his Spanish and he's going to correct it in the second printing of the book, which is an amazing thing to do. But it's creator owned. So it, you know, that helps. But a mom comes in to find her daughter passed out in trouble. And she says, oh, Bebe. And it's like, no, we wouldn't say that. Right. She would say, Mija, like my daughter. Because when you hear it in English, you're like, oh my gosh, my baby. Mm-hmm. But in Spanish, if you say Bebe, it's like, oh, that's the baby. It's something that you don't necessarily <laughs> have like a connection with versus Mija. Right. Like right. my daughter, a piece of me, there's an emotional connection to the word. And that gets lost. And there wasn't a ton of Spanish in Into the Spider-Verse, but what was there was correct. What was there showed frustrations. What was there just showed him walking down the street, right? And those are things that, like, we need more of because of how many of us there are in this country. Like, I live in Texas, which I know is, like, it's a lucky spot to be in, not now, but as a a Latina, it's a good (laughs) spot because there are a lot of us here. So, like, growing up, like, my communities. Immediately, if I see a show that's in Texas and it doesn't have like any Latinx in the main cast, I throw it out. It belongs in the trash. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Our experiences are very much integral to this country. And when they get pushed to the side or, you know, used as like a stage dressing almost, you know, Google translates enough. It it feels like a slap in the face. And and immediately when I when I pick up shockwaves, I'm going to look at the Spanish in there. Yeah, I'm going (laughs) to. see how it is and see if it's up on the the up and up because and the other thing is too is like puerto rican spanish is extremely different than mexican spanish and both Mm -hmm. of those are different than colombian or you know or dominican and and because we all have cultural variances that are influenced by our different indigenous cultures by the different ways we were colonized and again that gets missed right i think you're absolutely right i think the way that it impacted me in Into the Spider-Verse, when Miles was just, like you said, walking down the street, using Spanish, the way his body even moves in the spaces, it's so fluid. Yeah. He's so connected to who he is. 
to me, that's always been what's so inspiring. Even when you, there's been several times you've described Miles, even like in bad <laughs> properties <laughs> where I've just gotten chills because he is such an inspiring character because he's him. And, yeah. and and to me, like, that's why we like him. Yeah. You know, talking about the way that Spanish is used in American English language texts and by white people, I was thinking about Daniel Jose Older, this fantasy author, YA and adult, who did this like fantastic video where he's like, why are you asking me to italicize Spanish words? Mm -hmm. Why would I italicize them? It's not like I'm saying I went to go see my grandmother. And then he like cuts to wearing like, you know, he has like a, a hat on and like a guitar and he strums it and he goes, el barrio. That's not how it happens. And I just, that to me, like so much clicked for me when he said that. And it's such a given way for how we're trained in this society, in this culture of like whiteness is the norm. So we have to set off anything that is not white English Anglo Americanism, you know, and it's just like, yeah. oh, my God, what a poor excuse for understanding who lives in this country, in this world. And like what a. I don't know what the word is for like diluting something. What's a noun version of dilute? I don't know. <laughs> Dilution of like the the complexity and beauty that again is what makes Miles so incredible as a character. The potential for him to be so powerful and like you were saying, bridging communities in being a symbol of what, frankly, like Gen Z deserves to be seeing what, what the generation after them, I don't know what they call them, deserves to be seeing in a hero. Like that all gets washed out if you're using the Spanish wrong. Yeah. And and that's something that like, cause like being really open, like I'm not fluent in Spanish, but I grew up with it. I grew up in San Antonio, Texas, 70% Latino, 90% of those are Mexican. And part of my family has been in Texas from what we found back six, seven generations. And then my grandmother was uh, half indigenous. And our identity has been formed by Texas. And, and in turn, our identity has formed Texas. And because of that, our Spanish and the way we, we move through spaces looks very different. So for me, even though I'm not a fluent Spanish speaker or a native speaker, there are some words that I just can't say in English when I'm just talking because I've said them in Spanish my entire life. And so when I see a character do that in a movie, a comic book, anything, I immediately feel like, oh, yeah, that's me. Like, you, you got that. You got that right. Like, that's a chongo. And if it's not a chongo, it's a liga. And we only say chancla. Flip-flop's not used in this house. And it's one of the reasons why at my site... So we use, for the most part, AP style when we edit, but we have very specific rules outside of that. Black, when describing culture and communities and people, is capitalized. And other languages are not italicized, especially when dealing within a context that is, is personal, but overall just to not other them. And a lot of my work and a lot of the stuff that I do write about is talking about my my Latinidad and my identity and how I find it in different places. And I don't italicize because it feels weird. Because like when I italicize something in my work, I'm italicizing a title, right? So if I'm writing about, um, like what was one? Of, okay, so like I reviewed Inmate Number One, which is the documentary on Danny Trejo. And it opens with me saying I make the joke that... Danny Trejo is everybody's steal. And why would I italicize that? <laughs> it breaks it. It, it. it breaks the connection that I'm trying to build there. 
Now we do use explanatory commas or we explain like that later in there. I use the word uncle instead of Theo. So, you know, somebody who doesn't know what Theo is, uncle can piece it together. But we do go out of our way to make sure that we're not othering our experiences because when you're writing, it's harder as a writer to, we already have to code switch when we're in the world. You shouldn't have to code switch when you're putting your, your emotions and your thoughts onto the page. And so that's something that we've worked very hard to kind of get because we have a, an editing team, about six people. And so just checking each other when that happens and making sure that we're holding that standard across. And every now and again, stuff will slip by or, you know, some of our older things may have it. But italicizing Spanish, especially in this country, is it irks me <laughs> real bad because mm-hmm. I've, I've seen that that video from older and I'm like, yep. Let me let me put on my sombrero and my poncho and yeah, like it it, it that, that doesn't work. <laughs> exactly, yeah. That video is so helpful for it's illustrating so it. I edit a fair amount, and I also use it with people who you know because we all grew up in this society, or those of us who do, and are inculcated in the same rules and told those are like these are the rules. They're just yeah. normal, and you don't question them. So I work with a lot of people who who use multiple languages, and I'll be like, hey, guess what? You don't have to italicize this. Here's a video that will explain it much better than I can. That's (laughs) awesome. That's so good. I'm very grateful for an older, such a badass. I wanted to take it back just for a second on something that you mentioned earlier, which was the protests and people dressing like Miles. Yeah. So that is so exciting, right? And I was thinking, too, about something else, which is that police enforcer people of all kinds, authoritative (laughs) figures have really kind of, I mean, you know, whenever we saw Tiki Torch dudes, they had all of those Captain America insignias and stuff like that. And then Punisher has been kind of adopted by a lot of law enforcement, regardless of how, you know, how much the creators of those characters are kind of like, no, (laughs) we don't like that stuff. But with Spider-Man, you really just don't ever see that, right? And like, there's some things that I think are intrinsic to Spider-Man because he's always been kind of an outsider that would kind of prevent people (laughs) from using it. And of course, there's also been other brown Spider-Man, like there was Miguel O'Hara. Yes, my boy. Yes, I love Spider-Man 2099. Oh my Mm -hmm. God. Which like, yeah, I mean, he's another character who has really gone by the wayside, unfortunately. I wish that they would do more with him. But yeah, I was just kind of wondering, I mean, I think that that's so inspiring that there's so many people who have latched on to Miles in this way. And it's in a way that's not typical, right? Yeah. It's something where you're seeing new audiences come into comics and into these characters in ways that they never did before. And they were alienated from doing it. I mean, I just kind of wanted to talk about that, I guess, a little bit more yeah. because I think that that's so interesting and so cool because obviously I grew up, you know, I'm 37 now. I grew up in comics that was like all white men, essentially. Yeah. Um, and it's different now. And it's great. <laughs> I mean, it's also like it's different to a point because there are still no solo Latino char- Latinx characters in DC's roster. Yeah, and DC is just so notorious for yep. so many things <laughs> that are bad. And on Marvel, name another Latinx hero right now, other than America and Miles, who has something going on. Right. Exactly. <laughs> you can't. And, and it's not one of those like, why not us things? It, it, we should have representation across the board, but like, We've seen strives in diversity for other ethnicities, other races, and we have more queer superheroes than we used to. 
Mm-hmm. But for some reason, and I don't know what it is, Latinx are always seen as like the last thing. Mm-hmm. We're foreign no matter what. And I think that, that that blocker is something that keeps us from being in these, these movements, these pushes for diversity. You can shop from anywhere doing pretty much anything. You might shop while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast. And however you shop, we all know and love the thrill of the hunt. But do you also know how to get the thrill of the best deals? Because Rakuten shoppers do. With Rakuten, they get the deals they love with the most savings and cash back. And you can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like Sephora, Nike, and even Expedia if you're looking to get some travel in. And getting cash back doesn't mean you have to miss out on sales because those can just be stacked right on top. It's easy to use and based on a simple idea. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers, and Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back through PayPal or check. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's hard because, I mean, like, I've been called slurs from literally every race (laughs) I can think of. I've been, everybody's told me to go back to my country before. I'm like, I'm Tejana. Like, no, (laughs) I was here. Uh, the border moved on us. Uh, and it's hard when you think about it because it's almost like Spider-Man having these two Latinos is really just because of who Spider-Man is. Like you said, like Spider-Man has always been an outsider. And when even, because I love, I actually, Peter Parker is still my favorite Spider-Man. And a lot of it is because of what I saw in him growing up. He was poor. Mm-hmm. He was alone most of the time. He was beat up. He was just trying to get by, just trying to get to the next meal, just trying to to help, you know, Aunt May pay the bills and everything. And that mm-hmm. growing up as a really poor kid, that was something that even though at the time I only had Peter Parker, I still saw myself in him. And that otherness and that marginalization that Peter saw from a class side i think that that makes the mantle of spider-man the perfect entry point for diverse characters to come in and pick that up Mm -hmm. because they're marginalized in different ways but it's all at the core of who spider-man is what 
do you do when you have that adversity? And I would say, you know, that that's the core of a lot of superheroes. But I think for Spider-Man, it's more so because he's not only having to deal with adversity as a hero. He's also having to overcome it on his own as Peter as well or as Miles or as Miguel. And that's important. And I think it's what makes him very different. And with the use of Miles and the protests and and even just what makes him very important now is that Miles represents two communities. He represents Latinx. He represents Black people. And in him, we can come together and see these things. And that's what happened a lot. That, that's what was happening during the protests. That's what's still happening during the protests. And there's more work to be done. But I, I think that Miles is powerful because he can be a uniting factor. You know, if Latinx can just shut up and stop being anti-Black for like a whole ass minute, just like, please. <laughs> but I think you you also spoke to the point, Kate, and I think you said this very, very saliently, that like the problem is that there is multidirectional hatred that happens and bigotry and there's a widespread White supremacy is kept alive by keeping all of us who live outside of the white cis hetero patriarchy fighting with each other. Yeah. So if we can keep, you know, cis people who are black or Latinx or whomever scared of trans people who are any ethnicity, then that's like, you know, ooh, guess what? Rich stay rich, get richer because they don't have to worry about us. We're fighting each other. And I think that that's exactly what, to me, is so powerful about Miles, is he does represent, exactly like you're saying, not just the uh, bridge, but also the fusion, right? He he says, we're not two different pieces of a whole. We are all the whole. And yes, there are different concerns as a a Latinx person. There's different concerns as an Afro-Latinx person, right? And there's different concerns as a Black person. Yeah. But Miles is all of those things and he's all of them. And I think that's exactly why he's become a symbol of of resistance and of of fighting for Black Lives Matter, right? Is yeah. because he represents what we could be, you know? Yeah. <laughs> what we can do together. So I think that that's, what's, I, that's what I heard in, in what you were saying when you were breaking down the tensions between different communities. Yeah, no, 100%. And I mean, I, I, there's something powerful when you look at how a character's identity and how that mantle passes and how that person has to interact with that system that the other character had no problem in, right? Like we see it with Falcon as Cap, right? They tackled that story because it needed to be told. You know, Sam Cap is going to face different things than, you know, good old boy Steve Rogers. I love you, Steve. But <laughs> that blonde hair, blue eyes does a lot. And in the same <laughs> vein, Peter and, and Spider-Man may be hated by the cops, but Miles is going to have a different relation to that. And then throw in that Miles's dad is a cop. You know, it, it, it's salient. It's important. It's timely. And Miles, when put in the right hands and when, if Marvel ever decides to go back to its old, we're going to make an overtly political statement on why people should not hate people. Um, thanks, Disney. Uh, <laughs> we have so so much to say you are on the right podcast <laughs> he could do so much he has the potential and and it's funny too because my husband doesn't like miles my husband is a scientist and so every part of peter is my husband grew up poor he grew up in a single parent household he mm. ended up being a scientist and that's why peter is his favorite and for him, his issues, and it's it's actually something that, that he pointed out to me, and I stopped, and I thought, I was like, oh, crap, you're right. 
is that a lot of Miles's origin story is deeply rooted in exactly Peter. So even when Miles came onto the scene, Bendis deeply attached him to Peter and yes. put him through almost the exact same story beats that Peter went through, mm-hmm. which 100%. automatically casts that shadow of Peter on him, which for better or worse, it is going to form those detractions and it is going to be harder for him to become his own person, which is why I think Into the Spider-Verse is this perfect gateway for so many fans because it's a same but different telling of how Miles becomes Miles, how Miles becomes Spider-Man, and it's unique. And I think that that is why people are able to come in and see Miles for Miles instead of comparing him to Peter. Whereas I think with Bendis's initial launch of him, it was very much, oh, this is just the Black Peter Parker. Oh, this is just the Afro-Latino Peter Parker. And that's problematic in its own way because you have to trust these characters to one, do well on their own, and two, care about them enough to give them dynamic story beats, give them dynamic writing that will allow them to thrive apart from this main franchise. It's why Kamala Khan works so well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, sorry, I've been talking a lot. That's the <laughs> no. point. That's why we had you on. <laughs> I'm having a great time listening. I was going to say, too, that, like, yeah, even if you listen to the interviews around his creation, you're just, it's like, I read those comics when they all came out, and I was like, yeah, totally. This is cool. You know, it's, like, probably the best thing that came out of the Ultimate Universe by a pretty <laughs> wide margin, but... You know, when you hear the interviews, it gets a lot worse because they're like, oh, yeah, like Obama was about to be elected and like all of this. And you're just like, oh, so you really did just want black Spider-Man and you really did treat it like it was just a one off. It's okay, everybody. He'll be gone again soon. And I feel like that's kind of what Spider-Man 2099 is, too, where they're like, it's fine. He's in the future. It's never going to be the Spider-Man. And they do that all of the time. Like, they do that alternate reality gay characters and, like, all of that, too. So it's like they do it constantly with characters where it's like, oh, well, this version of Cyclops was a black Civil War soldier, but we'll never see him again. It's fine. We still have Cyclops, you know? Yeah. And I just think that that's something that they always do with diversity where they're like, it's fine. I'm just going to put it off to the side here. Don't you worry about it. Main continuity fans who get mad about stuff like this. And it's just like, it's cool (laughs) that you're making an effort, but you're not making a committed effort, you know? Well, and you're making such a fucking racist effort, right? (laughs) Right. We were talking about this, about Ironheart. Like, why does Bendis want black people to suffer so badly? Like, it's not even enough for one person to die of a shooting. It has to be multiple. And then (laughs) it's going to be this. And then we're going to make it that. And something that Veronique Emma Hubois pointed out in one of our conversations was, why did they name Miles' dad after Jefferson? Like, that's so fucked. That's so fucked. Why are you? And why would you make him a cop? Oh, right. Because this is what we love to do in this country. We love to portray the good cop as a black cop so that we create that cognitive dissonance for people between a cab and like not this one. But then it's like, that's not how that works, bitch. (laughs) So I never say it on Twitter because like Twitter is Twitter. Nuance goes to die there. (laughs) But like I like a lot of the new diverse heroes that we've gotten. But I don't that no matter what they do, they will be attached to this previous hero. Right, yeah. Have Hell yeah. the cojones 
to make a new character and stick with it and push them just as hard as you're pushing the other ones. Because guess what? Those comic gate fuckheads aren't going to come at you for changing a character's gender or race now if you just make a new one. And guess what? You're going to get to sell all this awesome new merchandise to all the different people that you've alienated with these other characters because we're going to eat that shit up. Give us Mm -hmm. new content. Both companies, both Marvel and DC, continually keep going back to the same realm. Like, why the hell do we have, like, 25 Green Lanterns? Yeah. <laughs> like, stop making Green Lanterns. Like, yeah, just only Jessica Cruz and Jon Stewart stay. <laughs> like, everybody else has to go. They also have a ton of diverse characters already that they don't do jack shit with. Yeah. You already even have these characters that you just absolutely squander again and again. They're like, well, check this out. And it's just like, well, I just saw what happened to like Jaime Reyes, you know, like I know that these characters get introduced and then they get dropped whenever it becomes inconvenient or the next writer just doesn't have an interest in it. And it's just gross. Like, (laughs) Actually cultivate these characters or don't, but don't take the glory and then be like, well, that's exactly what I was going to say. They get their cookies. They get their like attaboys. For doing the bare goddamn minimum. Mm-hmm. And it reminds me of the conversation we had with Christina Maldonado Badhand. Where she was saying the exact same thing about Laura Kinney. And she's like, yeah. why does she have to be Wolverine? Because you can't fucking get over yourself enough to move on. And yeah. like, like a new character. I had literally never thought about it that way. Which was a little embarrassing. But I'm like radicalized now. I'm like, we need <laughs> new heroes. <laughs> Isn't it also the fact that just these companies don't incentivize the fact of like creating a new character? Because if you do create a new character for Marvel or DC, they have the rights to it and you just get dicked over, which is basically like what happened to all of the old creators. So it's like even when (laughs) even when they start to practice diverse hiring practices, I'm just like, okay, but you're just going to screw these people over, too. You know, there's still a a very good point. A very good point. And it's hard, too, because I, I want to talk about, like, all my favorite indie stuff, right? Like, Virayala, like, their work is so good on Livewire. And, like, yeah. there are different stories being told in other comic spaces. Totally. But at the end of the day, like, that's important and that's great. And I cover those indies with just as much love as I cover the big two, right? Mm-hmm. But we need something in these two companies because it's what's going to get the money. Exactly. It's going to get the most money behind it. It's going to get the most marketing. It's going to be in front of the most people. It's the same reason why, like, there is one Latino in the MCU. And I say this not because we're lacking Latinx actors, but because there is only one character that is actually canonically Latino in the MCU. One. Because we have Lupita Nyong'o, but she's Wakandan. We have Tessa Thompson, but she's as Guardian. We have Zoe Saldana, who is the first Latinx in, in Marvel, but she's Sia Morin? Whatever the hell mm-hmm. her planet green. is. She's green. She's green. Yeah. <laughs> she's green. That's not exactly uh, <laughs> Latinx. <laughs> One of, I believe his last name is Alginus, he played a Cree. So we have these actors, but they're not ever put as Latinx characters. Right. They're like, well, we can cover you with like paint and then you can be in the movie. And it's like, snap. (laughs) And it's frustrating because it should never be a, this person shouldn't get it because I deserve it. But I do think that there has to be a conversation that 
diversity isn't just by adding black characters or white women like diversity has Mm -hmm. to take into account all of us and Mm -hmm. like yo we just go by population sake we're the most in this u.s and that includes afro-latinos that includes you know a whole bunch of different types of latin experiences like not a mexican is not the same as a colombia it's not the same as argentinian you know so on and so forth and we have vibrant stories to tell. And yet we're nowhere. And there doesn't even seem to be any effort in putting us anywhere, you know? And it, it's frustrating to see as somebody who loves games and comics and all of these things. Like, I love them deeply. And I don't f- ever feel like they love me back because the Oof. only times I get stuff is when I'm watching a drama about, like, gang life. And <laughs> I have to deal with that. And it's trauma porn or... I mean, fuck, even in Star Wars, they turn the character into a drug runner. Why would Poe be a drug runner? I don't agree with that. He's a smuggler. And if he was a white character, everybody would call him a smuggler. The fact that people say that he is a drug dealer because he is a Latino is what frustrates me. Okay, I didn't say dealer. I said runner, to be fair. Okay, runner. Okay, that's fair. You got closer, though. A runner, that's good. That's closer to smuggler. I definitely hear your point, and I'm super glad you brought that up because I hadn't thought about it that way. Most people I saw frustrated were also Latinx, but I think that's a great point. Here's a better point. They, like, made him <laughs> a smaller part. Yes, yes. <laughs> Let's they make made that it. point. <laughs> exactly. Yes. No, they did my boy Poe very wrong. They did him dirty. Ugh. I lost so many friends because I didn't like The Last Jedi. And they were like, why didn't you like it? It's amazing. I was like, yeah, no, I'm sorry. John Boyega and Oscar Isaac got screwed the hell over because Finn is made into the comedic punchline. Yep. And Poe is made into an asshole, which like he can be an asshole, but like you're literally making us hate one of our main heroes this entire time for a character that was just introduced. You know what I thought was fascinating was because, you know, so many white ladies were like, this is what it's like to have yourself questioned all the time. (sighs) I actually saw someone, a Latinx uh, man, and I wish I remembered who it was, who was like, no, this is what it's like to be a Latinx person questioning a white person. Yeah. You've got the power of differential wrong, buddy. And I was like, oh, my God, that like totally changed how I saw the film. I actually wrote a piece on why Poe isn't sexist and why it's actually real crappy that I keep seeing white women say machismo over and over again to describe him. Like, just stop. No, this isn't a thing. (laughs) Like, can we actually unpack why this is a problem? And, And it bugs me. It bugs me so much. And I have hatred of that movie and then the freaking fandom around it because oh my god it made my life hell (laughs) oh isn't it funny the things you love and then you're like now i hate this because you've made me hate this get this i got told that as a woman of color me disliking the last jedi made me uphold white supremacy because now white alt-right people could use my dislike of the last jedi to help prop up white supremacy it was in a tweet (gasps) it was awful I feel like I'm like in a tunnel and lights are just flashing past me. Like my brain can't even <laughs> comprehend that. Yeah. Like, what the fuck? I feel like I just turned into the Pikachu who's like, what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. I heard you gasp. Yeah. <laughs> it's bad. It was bad. Oh, Kate, Jesus. It's one of those things. And, and I think it happens from people loving things so hard that they can't accept any mm-hmm. critique. But it's like at the same time, like you got to be open. And like, I get it. There are shitheads there. I've literally been targeted by the Daily Stormer, that darknet website where there are big Nazis. Yeah. I wrote a piece on why 
the fact that there weren't actually Latinas casted in Charmed was a problem. And then I ended up on their website and then I ended up with a lot of trolls. And then we ended up with a lot of things that happened on the back end of our website that we fixed privately. And it was fucking terrifying because those are actual dark net fucking Nazis. So yeah, random person who really liked The Last Jedi. I (laughs) guess I totally uphold them. Like, it's frustrating. Like, I get that those people exist, but the fact that we're throwing out vital critique, that's a problem. It's a real big problem because now me trying to call for, well, I want these these characters of color to actually get treated better. Oh, but this movie did so much. It added Rose, so that's better. It's like, no, can you look at what happened to these two men of color, especially when you look at the long history of how these men, how men like them are portrayed on screen, please. And how Kelly Marie Tran was treated. I mean, I'm sorry. If you want to, like, point out Ray or, like, some white feminist bullshit, whatever, your argument is fundamentally flawed. But, like, you're using an example of someone who was harassed so badly and then had her screen time cut to, I believe I saw it was two minutes and, like, 14 seconds. That's not an example of, like, look what great work we've done for Rose. No, that's upsetting. This is what makes me so frustrated. And Sarah and I talk about this all the time. People want to give us, and we, we, you know, we're usually talking about queer or trans rep or lesbian rep specifically, but all of it. It's it's like you're giving a crap sandwich and they're like, can you smile while you eat that, please? Yeah. And I'm like, I don't want to smile. I'll eat the crap sandwich because I'm starving, but I'm not going to smile. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I want to be pissed. I want to talk about what's wrong with this because how are we supposed to do better? If I don't know... For instance, I'm just going to go back to this, that your correction about Star Wars, it's important to think about we would not call a white character doing what Poe is a drug dealer. Then I can't ever unthink that. But now that I know that, I can unthink that. So we need to have these conversations. I just, it breaks my heart that we can't like love something and talk about it. Oh, like, yeah. that's the point. I'm not an automaton. I don't know. I'm not a screen. You can't just like project things onto me. You know? like, I think that that's actually a really good moment. Cause like you let me tell you why I thought it was shit. And you were like, oh yeah, that kind of makes sense. Like, why can't we do that when we're having regular conversations? Like, I feel like every time I get pulled into like a fandom discourse, it's so volatile mm-hmm. that there can't ever be like, I don't know, I hate the word civility, but just like peaceful disagreement and, and not even disagreement, but just like interaction. Like, Hearing interaction. people when they talk. Exactly. <laughs> like, it's just, it's a lot, man. It's frustrating. Hey, guess why we started this podcast? (laughs) (laughs) We're just like, hey, let's have these conversations that get perpetually shut down. And also, I mean, what is terrible about that, too, is is that it does have repercussions, right? Yeah. This isn't stuff that is just like cool thought experiment. I think this or whatever. It's just like, no, this is stuff, A, that has been just affecting audiences forever you know and that goes across the board it also affects white people because a lot of white audiences just go i'm the default Mm -hmm. (laughs) like there's no questioning of that and they would be healthier and better people if they did question that you know so i think that that's 100 percent true that fandom discourse so often tends to just be like nope (laughs) it's like okay i don't know what to tell you (laughs) nope Okay. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Pretty good description. (laughs) You know, Kate, that's why we started this podcast, but it seems like that's part of why you also started. But why, Mm -hmm. though? And I would love to hear about where that came from and what you're hoping to do with it, what your wildest dreams are for the future. But why, though? 
We just like, it's totally our jam. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's cool. So, but why those started as a podcast, but why the podcast? And that's why we, I was not smart enough to just buy But Why Though as a domain and we have butwhythopodcast.com. But I was actually in a PhD program. So I have my master's degree in religious studies and anthropology and my thesis research was specifically on how comic books help construct identities of the other. And I did that by looking at, I essentially read every arc of Muslim superheroes, specifically superheroes, uh, an analysis of villains and the tropes that are associated there had already been done. Um, And so I did the opposite. I looked at Muslims and how and when American comics deem them as good. And so that was essentially what my work was on. Um, And I interviewed Desi members of the community, South Asian people, the South Asian diaspora, to investigate like Kamala, her presence and how like it impacted them and those kinds of things. And um, that was my work. And I ended up dealing with a whole bunch of racism and sexism unrelated to my work, kind of. But I was like, you're the pop culture scholar. Of course, you're a woman, that thing. And then also I was really young and I was brown. I was the only brown woman in my entire department. So it was rough. And I ended up making the choice to leave after I got my master's. And when I left, I missed the research. And so we started a podcast as I was on my way out because I was like, this is what I'm going to miss. I, and uh, so we started the podcast, my husband and our best friend or one of our really good friends. And we decided that every week we'd get together and we'd talk about different pieces of pop culture and ask why they matter. But why, though? Right. World of Warcraft matters. But why, though? Like investigate the the histories and the impacts on culture, society, fandom, pretty much anything we can see, you know, their franchises, stuff like that. And then in 2018, my husband and I got drunk one night. It was actually New Year's Eve. And I was like, I want to start writing again. What if we did the, did a thing? What if we did a site? And he was like, you know what? Put out and see if anybody in our community would actually want to write for us. We'll see what we can do. And we got like, people wanted to write. Like people wanted to help build a platform. When I say our, it's not our as in mine and my husband's community, but like our as in our listeners and the people we interact with. And I mean, not even fans, but just other people who have similar feelings. And we slowly ended up growing to, we have about 25 writers now. Um, We're still struggling. I mean, like we're way, way, way in the red, but my husband and I fund everything and we do it because we love it. And our site's majority POC and we kind of just thrive off of each other. We we push each other to write the things that are hard to cover the topics that like maybe other people wouldn't cover. And it's something that I'm really proud of that we built because we, when it came to the site, like beyond the, yo, we got drunk, wanted to start a site. As we started <laughs> building it out after that first month, I realized that when I was looking and reading reviews and looking at critics and looking at feedback, I was getting angry because I would notice things in that media that they wouldn't because the majority of them are white dudes. And I was like, you know, I can be that voice. And so I did that. And then we brought in more people who were more critic minded versus I'm going to blog about like just a personal topic versus I'm going to, you know, critique this film. And as we started doing that, we started building out a vital platform that really looks and investigates pop culture in a way that takes it beyond just should I watch this, should I not watch this, and more so looks at what it's doing and how it impacts. And it's the reason that like the majority of the stuff that we do cover as a site, one, we never box anybody in. So like it's not going to be like, okay, 
hey, you're the Latina, you have to write only the Latina things. No, I can write whatever the hell I want. So can all my other writers. But if there is a piece of media where, hey, you know what? It may not be best if I write this. It may be best if one of our Black writers write this. We'll throw it out to them and be like, hey, you know, do any of y'all want to cover this? You know, it may be better coming from y'all, y'all's perspective. And they just say, like, I'm interested. I'm not interested. If nobody's interested, then we'll kick it to the next writer, right? Then we'll kick it to somebody else. And it's a hard thing to balance sometimes, but it lines up a lot of the time. It lines up to what people want to do. And, and it's it's something that we strive to do. And yeah, that's us. That's my origin story. <laughs> it's awesome. It just feels like so kindred spirit to say because <laughs> I wouldn't say we got drunk. I would say we got furious and decided to start this <laughs> podcast. And then we were like angry again and we're like let's also start a fiction project decodedpride.com if you haven't picked up your subscription hey remember that cool anthology we made in pride month it's all a blur (laughs) fair enough it is all a blur but we did make an amazing anthology called decoded pride anthology We got 30 queer writers writing 30 queer stories, horror, sci-fi, fantasy, you name it. We got comics, we got comedy, we got cool people, we got more cool people. It was amazing. And guess what? Geese. Sharks. Geese. (laughs) No penguins, but maybe next year. Mycelium. It's a good time. We got dragons. We got more ghosts. I forgot about the dragons. Yeah, good dragons. Big fan of the dragons myself. And you know what? It's all so fucking queer. You can still get a PDF for $15. Come join us. Read these amazing stories. And hey, if you want to submit next year, great way to learn what we like. Decodedpride.com. Yes, go to decodedpride.com slash buy dash a dash subscription slash (laughs) gov.uk. Don't go to gov.uk, but all of the rest of that was true. Actually, it was true. I'm very impressed that you have the whole thing memorized. (laughs) I'm like, go to youtube.com slash F capital H (laughs) Z 12. right it's hard to do this work it's hard to keep the momentum going it's but it's worth it like it's just so important for but why though to exist it's so important for there to be this 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 boldly non-white perspective and and to say like we are going to have conversations that other people aren't we're going to ask questions about things that aren't being asked elsewhere and yeah do we all deserve a fucking column in the New York Times? Yes, we do. But guess what? We don't have one, so we're going to create our own spaces and, you know, not have to jump through quite the same hoops. So yes. I, I just find it incredibly inspiring, Kate. Like, that's so cool. Awesome. Thanks. If people want to support But Why, though, how do they do that? Yeah, so you can support us through, like, a number. We have a tea Public store. Like, we have all our merch there. It's actually really comfortable. They sent us <laughs> samples, and holy crap, those shirts are really soft. Oh, nice. So we do have a tea Public store. I love this so much. <laughs> I love a soft shirt. I mean, the older I get, the more I just go to the soft part of the store. 
Um, so you can do that. Uh, we're tea public partners, so we do get a larger cut than just designers going on there, which I know some of our community members had voiced like, hey, I want to buy it, but they're only going to give you like two cents. And we're like, well, we're partners now, so it's not two cents. But you can also find us on Patreon. We have a variety of tiers. We had some changes with our staff so we're still working through what our patreon tiers will look like going forward so we have two of our podcasts on there currently on hiatus but you can find us at patreon.com slash but why though b-u-t-w-h-y-t-h-o and that's how you can support our site and our community directly our goal is to hopefully be in a place where we're not in the red and to be in a place where we can you know pay our writers and not ourselves but like our writers and our editing team who work really really hard because right now we started as a community that just wanted to get together and talk about things and write things and we've grown and so that's what our goal is with our patreon is to get to a point where we can you know help give people you know something for their great work that they do to us we're still babies in the site world but you know we're trying um and then just give us a follow like give us a follow give us a retweet like support is great financially if you can do it but like it's pandemic time like nobody got money <laughs> like, I, <laughs> like I, I get it i relate to that deeply we've like sort of pivoted <laughs> from trying to like beef up our patreon we're like just follow us just yeah just like a tweet <laughs> yeah because I, I can be honest like you may think that like it's not a lot but if you follow us on, on twitter at but why though pc we have affiliate posts that go up with our affiliate links and stuff. And like, you may not go buy a subscription to stars, but if you retweet it on your timeline, somebody else may. So Mm -hmm. like, it may seem like small interactions, but a follow, a retweet, you know, telling your friend about us, reading our stuff on our site, like all of that goes into building our community larger and helping us out. Anytime somebody pops on Twitter or whatever and is just like, we really like bitches on comics. This is a great podcast. Both Essie and I like text each other and are crying. And like, yes. <laughs> I've got lots of gifts saved that are crying and happy and saying thank you. Just because I'm just like, I'm genuinely that emotional every time someone says something nice. Because we're right there with you. It is a ton of work. And I hope you will take this to heart. But why though is awesome. And what you're doing yeah. is awesome. And it is like so cool to talk to you and to just like dig into these hard topics that are layered and that we all don't have the same information but to just be like let's like get in there and let's be a little messy and let's like say some curse words and let's like (laughs) figure out what we can do together and how we can continue to build this community so i'm like riding high is there anything that we didn't talk about that you wanted to cover any anything else no, I feel like I got my miles rant out, which is great because <laughs> I had it. feelings. Um, no, I mean, I think that's that's it. I mean, like, thank you guys for having me on. Seriously, like, I, I like talking about nerdy stuff. And mm-hmm. when that intersects with my Latinidad, like, that's even that's even better. But seriously, like, thank you for your kind words about but why that like we do try we, we do what we're not perfect by any means, but we want to consistently grow to be and do better within a community because it gets lonely out there. So for us, it's community first, always, regardless of anything else. Like, I know some sites want to be like the IGN and stuff. I was like, I don't know what the hell an IGN community is. Like, <laughs> I just want to be a space for people to come together, feel appreciated, and feel open to actually talk about the stuff that's important and why it's important to them regardless because i mean our site's extremely diverse it's funny because i have a full-time job outside of what i do with the site and writing (laughs) 
is in diversity and inclusion. And I'm a strategist. And, and so I have conversations with people about how to diversify like their platform and how to recruit more talent. And during everything that's been happening in gaming, I've, I've talked to a few people who are like, hey, you know, I we really need to diversify our site. How did you do it at yours? I'm like, I don't know because I didn't try. Like we were just <laughs> open because if you don't close a door, you know, people from everywhere will walk through it, you know? Right. Like y- you have to foster an inclusive community. Otherwise, you're just going to keep getting the same people that come in. And so for us, it's we just try to be our authentic selves, which sounds cheesy as hell. But like <laughs> my timeline is like manga smut and like <laughs> yelling about Latinx issues and other stuff. So like come join our family. It's it's large. We're we're here. We got Discord and everything. So brilliant. I was gonna say that the way that actually I found I believe your Twitter was when you were covering and not to not to open this can of worms right now, but when you were covering Birds of Prey number one. Uh. Um, <laughs> so I remember reading that and just being kind of like, yeah, I should follow this person. I had like I, of course, didn't buy it because I don't buy Azarello writing women anymore yep. at all. <laughs> Doesn't matter. <Good laughs> and choice. then, of course, you see that cover and you're like, I know. So, yeah, I'm sure it gets lonely. It certainly gets lonely. But I would say that just the amount of great work that you do has been really helpful. And that really helped me, too, just to read through and kind of be like, yeah, he's a jerk on many levels, (laughs) (laughs) not just the one. (laughs) One of my friends is a comic book YouTuber, and she put out one that was just about the women and was like, put me in a pop-up box. Like, if you want to see the racism, go to this thing. But I'm going to talk about the sexism here. And I was like, yep. Good job. Sarah and I were texting about this because the world and I was just like, man, everywhere sucks. Every corner of the world sucks. <laughs> yeah. And then we go back and forth. One of us is like really down and then like the other one's like, oh, no, man, like it's going to be all right. But like not like in a Pollyanna way, like in a very like don't let those motherfuckers kill you yeah. way, you know, which is like what, what I need when a pump up song. And um, we were just like, oh, right, we're going to keep making corners of the world, corners of nerddom that are better. Because this is where I wanted to be. I wanted to be reading But Why, though, and hearing bitches on comics when, at different <laughs> points in my life. Like, that's what I wanted. I, and now it's like, fuck, fine, we'll make it. Fine, whatever. <laughs> I guess we're doing it. <laughs> Kate, if there's anything that we can do for you, just you let us know. Definitely. I mean, same goes to y'all. Like, y'all are doing great work over here. And, it, you know, this, this was great. This is awesome. Oh, thank I'm you ha- so much. I was having a rough and really tiring day, and this made me feel a lot better. Oh, same. Same. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're a podcast that is all about making comic books more accessible to LGBTQ folks and women. So if you have a question about anything related to comics, comic adaptations, pop culture in general, conventions, cosplay, you name it, that's what we're here for. You can send us your questions at bitchesoncomics at gmail.com. Unfortunately, Gmail does not like the word bitch. They're pretty judgy about it. So (laughs) we can't have it spelled out. It is B dot. T-C-H-E-S-O-N-C-O-M-I-C-S at gmail.com. And do you remember there's no I'm bitch?
If you'd like to support the podcast, you can do so by rating and reviewing us on iTunes, Spotify, or Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm Sarah Century, and you can find me at www.sarahcentury.com and Twitter and Instagram. Still Sarah Century on those. I'm S.E. Fleenor. You can learn more about me at sefleenor.com. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at at S.E. underscore Fleenor. Bitches on Comics is recorded by Kate Warner, who plays in the band Churchfire. You can find them at churchfiremusic.com. Our music is recorded by Katie Taylor, who plays as Earth Control Pill. You can find her music at earthcontrolpill.bandcamp.com. Bitches on Comics is recorded in Denver, Colorado. We want to recognize the indigenous peoples who have inhabited and do inhabit this land. The Arapaho Nation, the Ute Nation, the Cheyenne Nation, and others who have been erased from our history and collective memories through colonization. Have you ever watched a futuristic sci-fi movie and wondered, but wait, could any of this really happen? And will I live long enough to see it? That's what our show Hypothetical is about. I'm Carrie Bechet, and on this podcast, we ask what-if questions about the future. Like, what if we could read minds? What if the world's digital data was erased all at once? What would happen if the Yellowstone supervolcano erupted? Then we explore that question two ways, through speculative science fiction and through dialogue with brilliant scientists. The result is a genre-bending narrative that's interwoven with real facts provided by literal geniuses. And, spoiler alert, a lot of the science fiction out there, it's not nearly as far-fetched as you might think. Come time travel with me into the future on Hypothetical. New episodes on Tuesdays available on all your favorite podcast apps. Just search Hypothetical. That's H Y P E R T H E T I C A L.